It's Monday, November 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Hey, hey guys. Hey. It's a rainy Monday. It is a rainy Not Monday. too happy. Remember, there were a couple of days earlier this year, I was like, gosh, it'd be so nice to have the podcast outside today. This is the opposite. <laughs> this is not one of those I'm days. I'm so anymore. glad we're ensconced in this studio. Aye, aye. Um, we're going to talk Facebook and LinkedIn. We're going to talk about the business of chocolate. We will dip into the full mailbag, but let's start with. I think this deal is finalized, Taylor. You <laughs> That's tell what me. they said this morning. We'll, well see. Well, big deal that was brewing late last week in the energy industry, specifically uh, oil services. Halliburton is buying Baker Hughes, its slightly smaller rival, mm-hmm. for the cool sum of $34.6 billion. It's a cash and stock deal. Shares of Baker Hughes up more than 12%. Shares of Halliburton falling. Is that because they paid too much, or is that because people think this deal, as it is currently constituted, is not going to get the regulatory thumbs up from Uncle Sam? That's a that's a good question. Friday when they announced it, Halliburton was down about four percent, leapt up to about plus five percent. So when it was first announced, it was viewed pretty positively, but the details weren't out yet. So yeah, I could when I look at this. It could be paying a little bit too much. It was about a 40% premium to Baker Hughes's price before they announced it on November 10th. But energy companies have been really hit hard. So, um, at a five-year average, it's only about a 25% premium to some of the multiples that Baker Hughes has been running at. So, all in all, I don't think it's that big of a deal. The one thing you do mention is regulatory hurdles. Because these are the Halliburton and Baker Hughes, these are the second and third largest players in this space. That's correct. And um, when you get market cap, they're, they're pretty significantly smaller than, than Schlumberger. But on a revenue basis, if you add them both up, they will be bigger on the top line than Schlumberger. Market cap, though, if you add them up, they'll be about $75 billion. Schlumberger is at $123. So, it's a little bit overpriced if you compare them to Baker Hughes and, and Halliburton, but they have a little bit better margins. They, they, the revenue might not be there, but they flow it through the income statement a little bit better than these other two companies, especially Baker Hughes, which is a much lower margin business than the two premier companies in my mind. I will say I own Halliburton for this discussion, but um, when you look at Baker Hughes, there could be some costs that could be wrung out of it, and I think Halliburton's a great company to do that. They've improved their own margins. Um, when you combine these two companies, it's a focus on North America for the most part, with a heavy emphasis on on South America and Latin America, um, and I think that's a bit. I think that's a good thing for their future. Schlumberger has traditionally been the international heavyweight. Over sixty percent of the revenues come from that, but these companies are relatively split 50-50, North America, Exxon. So I look at Argentina, I look at the Gulf of Mexico, and I look at Brazil. These companies are big players there, and that's the next big step, I think, in unconventional oil is is that area. Regulatory, they are. They said they've pinpointed some divisions that could be spun off or, or sold if need be. They've had some pretty high-profile um, lawyers look at this deal and say, yeah, hey, we think this could pass. As is, or if you have to maybe sell a few things, get the, get your ducks in order. But I think from what I see, it could, it could move through, and they, they're thinking second quarter of 2015. So, as a shareholder, you like this deal? I like the deal, um, or in, is in, the it long, in the big scheme of things. You like the potential of yeah, this yeah, deal? Yeah, I like the I like the I like the deal in the big scheme of things. Um, acquiring a competitor um, of Baker Hughes' size, 
for the longest time, I didn't really like Baker Hughes' business because they were low margin. Um, but I think if Halliburton can get in there and tweak a few things, um, the synergies could be there. They're talking about um, $2 billion that could be cut right off the top, 31% of that from North American operations, 23 from international operations, and then um, around 18% from admin and organizational efficiency. So I'm thinking that 18% is going to be some layoffs, unfortunately, um, and then 18% from corporate, R&D, and real estate, because they are both down there in Texas. They can combine headquarters and whatnot. Um, I do like these two companies coming together to compete with Schlumberger, who um, has been maybe not the, the technological leader um, globally, but the, the the name that everyone recognizes globally. I was going to say, they're doing something right. That's right. If they're that big. <laughs> yeah, and you know they're, they're valued much more highly, um, price to earnings, but everything else, or sorry, much right in line, but everything else they're valued much more highly as far as revenue, book value, and all of that compared to these two. So um, if the combination does go forward as, as, as spoken about, I think that their their earnings multiples and and such could catch up. Shares of LinkedIn down around five percent this morning, on the news that Facebook has begun testing a new service called Facebook at Work, which would compete directly with LinkedIn uh, and reportedly incorporate workplace collaboration features uh, found in software from little companies like Google and Microsoft. Just tiny niche players <laughs> in the space. Yeah, little really little on-the-fringe yeah. niche players. <laughs> this is something we've batted around this idea for a couple of years now. I think the idea that this is happening probably is not a surprise to anyone, because Facebook was for a very long time seen as, well, gosh, if that's a space that they could go into. What do you think? If you're LinkedIn, how nervous are you now that this is actually happening? Well, I mean, I think LinkedIn certainly had to be expecting something like this at some point. Um, I mean, there there are a lot of questions really still as to exactly what this is going to uh, constitute. I mean, is this more of a communication platform? Uh, or is this somewhere where you would actually establish your professional identity? So, to me, it sounds like it's more like a communication platform, uh, you know, potentially with a robust set of tools that that companies would be able to use, like you know, what maybe Google Docs presents or Microsoft Cloud Services present. Uh, you know, because I I think that I could see it potentially gaining some traction uh, from from that perspective. I'm I'm more skeptical of it serving as a place where someone would want to establish their professional identity, and that's for a couple of reasons. I think number one, uh, every, every survey, every indicator tells us that people want to maintain those two profiles separately, right? Uh, you want to keep your social life where your social life is, and your professional life you want it to be separate of that. And so even even if if Facebook is is saying they have a way for for those to be separated, I mean the fact of the matter is it's it's still a Facebook platform, so. Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't go over to establish my professional identity on Facebook. I mean, I've, I've spent more time uh, building that out on LinkedIn. So, I don't know how much traction they would gain with that. I think it's easy to look at the argument and say, well, Facebook has all of this money, and they can basically go do whatever they want. The one thing I've learned over the years as an investor is, it's it's not it's never a safe assumption to believe that just because a company has the financial resources to do something that they can go in and then just do it because it or do it well or do it well exactly I mean at, the, at this point in the game whatever Facebook is thinking about doing uh, they're going to be seen as disrupting this space to a degree and LinkedIn has certainly spent a lot of time 
uh, building out that that space and, and developing its its presence there. It's got quite a reputation, and and uh, their their talent solutions business alone brings in more than half of the company's overall sales, uh, closing in on about a billion dollars this year just just for that department alone. So certainly, Facebook sees where there's there's some opportunity to to juice that that uh, top line there and maybe extend beyond just an advertising model. But again, it's as good. It's 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 going to be. It's going to work as well as the employees adopt it, you know. And I mean, if if you don't have buy-in from uh, the employees of a company, then then it's not really going to work out, you know. I mean, we, for example, here we see projects will go through Trello or Google Docs or Microsoft Cloud Services. So there's there's a little bit of everything that goes on there. And I don't know that uh, you're going to see any one company make a full commitment to a platform like. Like that, uh, unless it's just phenomenal, you know, on every front. Uh, so for me, uh, you know, I, I this will be this will be interesting to see how it works out. Remember, it, Facebook had this this platform called Branch Out, which was built. It wasn't owned by Facebook, but it was a platform that was built out with Facebook in mind, uh, and, and it was basically kind of like LinkedIn for Facebook, where people could establish their professional identities. And it's just it's belly up. I mean, it was, it's it's failed. So I'm not sure if that's something that would play out uh, working against Facebook in this in this uh, in this regard because if they sort of failed at it once, I mean, it, not that they failed at it, but it, but it was a failure on that on the Facebook platform. You know, do people feel like it would you know work again? Would would people feel comfortable uh, establishing that kind of identity on Facebook? I'm just I'm just not sure. I don't I don't think they would. I think they might be trying to search a little bit too hard to figure out something to do with their messenger and WhatsApp. Judging by our company, I could see them making at least companies trying an inner office communicator because I know here we've used AIM, we've used Jabber, we're using right. Slack now. But I, I, so I could see some people trying it, but I don't think it's going to make a, a big difference to Facebook or its investors because um, there's just so many different ways that people could play this. And from a monetarily standpoint, I don't know if it's going to you know, be bought into enough. And for me personally, I would never try to cross over my LinkedIn profile with my Facebook profile and allow employers access to that. But if they do go the business route, particularly if you're targeting smaller businesses that maybe have a workforce that is in multiple locations and it's an easy way to get people together, I could see that working out, particularly since so many people are familiar with the Facebook platform. So there's no ramp up there as opposed to, well, here's this new software and, and you have to spend some time and energy getting people up to speed on it. I could see that working out. But as you both touched on, that's a small win. Yeah. That's a, that's a too big of a company. An on the margins type of victory that yeah. maybe they make a little bit more money. But in terms of full on, not only disrupting LinkedIn on the personal level and getting people to say, I'm going to take my professional resume. And move it from LinkedIn to Facebook. Not only that, but also getting companies to pony up the money uh, that companies like ours do. To, that's right. LinkedIn's <laughs> to use, too big right now. You know, on, on the enterprise side, I, that, that's hard for me mm-hmm. to see working out for them. Well, I would say this: this is also very much in line with a lot of what Facebook has done to date in trying to, you know, build a new app or a new presence to try to disrupt something that's already out there, and they they don't do that very well. I mean, for the most part, those those things sort of wither wither and die. I mean, you look at all sorts of different little initiatives that they've taken. They've tried to develop on their own, and they haven't worked out so well. So, you, then you see them buy things like Instagram, for example. It's a lot easier to buy it uh, than to build it. So, I mean, I, you just... 
to sort of get a feel of, of what other people thought. I, I actually reached out on Twitter today, asked people, you know, it, it, it was would you establish your professional identity on Facebook? Would you use this tool? Uh, I got a note from at Everyday Advisor who said, no, they've spent many years and billions of dollars to be seen as a social personal versus social professional. So there's a no there uh, there and and at Ryan P. McCauley who said Facebook packs a negative connotation and defines relationships as friends already. It's hard to overcome that label in the workplace. So I mean I think those are points that are are certainly well taken. And again, I think it just goes back to they're gonna be seen as disrupting this space. They're gonna have to provide something better, something more than what's already out there. Not saying that can't be done. I just I just don't know exactly what that is. Let me broaden this for just one second because this is something that we see in a lot of companies in a lot of industries. And what I'm referring to is you've got a given business that has one way where they make a lot of money: mm-hmm. Facebook advertising, Google with search, Starbucks with coffee, LinkedIn just, with what Facebook wants. <laughs> right, to do. just to name three. Yeah. Regardless of the business, we can you know forget Facebook for for a minute. Regardless uh, of the business or industry, as an investor, when you see a company that you own shares of trying to branch out from that one way where they make a lot of money, what is your reaction? Because I could see people saying, "Well, good, they're they've got their way. They're making a lot of money. They've got the golden goose," mm-hmm. and. By all means, start testing other things. I can also see investors saying, "You know what? Can you just stick with the golden goose? Can you just <laughs> just stick to that?" What is your reaction? When I look at it, like say Google, you use that as an example. I think with their Google Docs, with their shipping, with all the other things that they're trying to do, I look at these as just little shots over the bow to their competitors, being like, "We have tons of cash. We've done search almost perfectly. We have all these little bits and pieces that we've built out, but we're not going to pour a bunch of money into them." But we can if you decide to step on our turf. So I think that there's kind of just these like uh, almost some game theory going on out there, saying if you if you look at what we've done with this, we could probably pour some effort and time into what you guys do well um, because we've already just kind of built this out on the side project. We don't really care about Google Docs; it doesn't run very efficiently. But if I'm sure if Google wanted to put some money into it, they could build a formidable com- competitor to. Microsoft Office, they could probably compete with Amazon on shopping if they really wanted to. Um, so I think it's just kind of like keeping their competitors in check without letting them encroach on their own space. That's a good question. I think I, mean, I look at it two different ways. I mean, I, if, as long as the company is leveraging that core offering uh, to branch out, I think it makes sense. And so an example of a company not doing that, you know, you referred to Starbucks and coffee, and it was, you know, not all that long ago where Starbucks was trying its hand at entertainment and furniture, and they even had, I think, a movie out there with Ikea and the Bee or whatever, and, the bee. and that had nothing really to do with their core offering at all, right? It was trying to sort of playing into the into the brand power there, and those didn't work out so well, right? I mean, they were trying to sort of develop that lifestyle and brand, and that really was was something that steered away from their core offering. Uh, you know, conversely, a company like Twitter, and having gone through that analyst day, I mean, they're they're utilizing their core offering beyond just as a communication platform is the data that they get from from uh, all all of all of the, the that goes over that platform uh, you know that that's a tech company they're building out a you know an infrastructure there with fabric that are tools for for developers to build out more uh, apps and more ecosystems as, as you know mobile grows and so I think from that perspective I like Twitter utilizing uh, their data and knowledge to sort of branch out and build Build out more of a tech uh, company than I think people are giving them credit. Twitter's for. doing a good job of that, but that's not. I, I don't equate what they're doing with what Google's doing with search. Twitter doesn't have a golden goose yet. 
they're they're trying to build a golden goose. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. But they're not. I think their their golden <laughs> goose if, is their platform. No, their golden goose is their platform, and I think they're trying to figure out ways to utilize that data. And that's so that's what I mean is they're they're utilizing that platform to take that data and try to figure out what to do with that data. And I think that you know that recent IBM deal is a good example of of the the things that they're trying. We talked recently about the terrifying news in the world of whiskey about natural resources leading to uh, a supply and demand problem, yeah, frankly, some water in down the world whiskey. of whiskey, uh, which leads to the terrifying headline over the weekend on the Washington Post <laughs> website, the world's biggest chocolate maker says we're running out of chocolate. And a phrase which I both love and am frightened by, uh, the author of this piece refers to and I'm quoting here, chocolate deficits, <laughs> chocolate deficits, <laughs> whereby farmers produce less cocoa than the world eats. Chocolate deficits are becoming the norm. And if you're Mars or you're Hershey and you're in the business of making chocolate, this is a little frightening. If you're certainly if you're a consumer of chocolate, this is a little frightening. I would say either the consumer should be a little bit more frightened than the That's company, right, yeah. maybe, right? I mean, obviously chocolate's in demand, and so this is a great excuse for them to raise prices. And I think that. Uh, you know, given given the data that, that I saw in that article, I don't think people are just going to be willing to to drop their their chocolate uh, you know desires anytime soon. And kind of like coffee, I think people uh, you know people people are going to get it if they want it. And um, it's you know, a I, stimulant. People are going to yeah. I can't really. I'm not a big it. chocolate guy. I mean, I, I like candy, and I mean, I get, you know, if he gave me a candy bar, I mean, that's cool. But like, I don't. I just don't have that craving for chocolate ever. So it's kind of like meh. It's not going to affect me one way or the other. Vice companies have some pretty good pricing power, so yeah, you're right. The consumer should be the one worried, at least initially. But yeah. I think the, all these articles are talking like out to 2020 we're, is when we're really going to hit. That's the, not hit that the far pinch. away. No, man. it's not. I mean, I think you got to be more concerned <laughs> with the bourbon shortage. Yeah, right. Oh, well, let's be clear. I'm far more concerned with the bourbon shortage. <laughs> it's interesting timing, though. Right after Halloween, right before you know Hanukkah and Christmas, and then Easter quickly follow that. Um, they could ramp up prices just a little bit, and people are. This is chocolate season. So I take this though as a really great opportunity, folks out there. Any of you have kids? This is a wonderful lesson in economics. This is just straight up supply and demand, mm-hmm. and how this plays out in in the marketplace. Utilize this as an example to, to teach your kids about how supply and demand works, and you know how the, the different competitive positions these companies are in, and how the consumer fits in here, and and uh, you know what potentially could happen here. Because my guess is at some point we're probably going to see higher chocolate prices. Unless this is, you know, in an inaccurate report, but you know they're making forecasts on actual physical crops there, which is, is you know, that they're going to have some pretty good data where that's concerned. So it could be very interesting to see over the coming years, uh, especially holiday time. Yes, uh, although I will point out, and I speak from experience, uh, for the parents out there who are going to explain this to their kids, <laughs> be very, very careful. I wouldn't use the word crops. Because you'll end up in the position I was in where one of my kids is like, so wait a minute, chocolate's a vegetable? <laughs> and I'm like, no, chocolate's not a vegetable. It's like, well, wait a minute, if it comes, if, if that's where the plant comes from and that's what makes the chocolate, chocolate's a vegetable. Yeah. And I, I really didn't have a great answer for that. It makes for a more compelling back. argument with oil. Than cho- or chocolate rather than oil for a six-year-old, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what was that? I mean, exactly. the kid's justification that somehow or another pizza covers all the major food groups. I mean, I guess technically it probably does. It kind of does. You can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Got an email from Tim Chalik or Chalik. 
sorry, Tim, if I'm mispronouncing your last name. He writes, hey, Chris, the name Internet of Things is the laziest name. <laughs> In an age where celebrity couples get cool nicknames like Benefer and Hump Dash, we should be able to do better. Can you guys think of something? Great question. And by the way, he's not wrong. Internet of Things, when you think about what it refers to, mm-hmm. the moniker inter- Internet of Things is, well, it's just weak. So, if you have suggestions out there, email us, radio at fool.com. We're, we're looking, because we agree. We're, if we can come up with a better name, Taylor, what do you think? Internet of Things? Conference call savior. Um, <laughs> if, if, you know, people, you can't really prove that you're part of Internet of Things yet for the most part. So I think a lot of companies are out there just trying to profess that, yes, one day we will be part of this multi trillion dollar industry. We're all we're connected. figuring it out. The smart home, yeah, that's et right. cetera. JMO? The hostile takeover. The hostile takeover? The hostile takeover is the rise of the machines. <laughs> Once these things all get connected, we are screwed. What's the name of the of the company in the Terminator, the first Terminator movie that comes oh. up? Is Cyberdyne? Yeah, Cyberdyne. Yeah, Cyberdyne. Yeah, Cyberdyne. Well, so did you see, have you seen the recent commercial for the Nest thermostat? No. With the old guy, oh, it's old like guy. the... the the guy, the old Yankees manager from Seinfeld, uh, who is sitting in the chair, and he's talking about how he hates these thermostats that think for themselves, and and it prevents you from getting up and walking over to change the thermostat, and you know, the getting up and walking it is how you get your exercise and your leg muscles work, and he, all these kids are just going to be sitting in their chairs, not doing anything, because everything's going to be connected, and then the machines will take over, and we're done. It's a pretty funny commercial, actually. Radio at fool.com. Send us your suggestions. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.